I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of CanadaLand Shortcuts is brought to you by TunnelBear. TunnelBear is the simple VPN app that makes it easy to browse privately and enjoy a more open internet. You can try TunnelBear for free by visiting tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. Do it now. Hadia Rodrigue. Jesse Brown. Hi, I'm here. I'm back. Ryan McMahon. Hello, everyone. Happy fall. Ashley Chinati. Good morning. Canada Land Commons. You guys are back on Tuesday with a new season. Your show has never been more popular. It happens to be the most downloaded Canadian politics show in forever in the history of the universe. What do you guys have planned for the show this season? Uh, We want to talk to all the NDP candidates who are running for leadership of the party. I think that's a big issue we want to dig into. Yeah, um, Nikki Ashton, pick up your phone. Hello, hi, it's me, Ryan. Nikki's calling from the other side. And, and and she said she'd do it on Twitter, right? So now She it's... did. She tweeted at us. You, like, started this whole thing, Nikki. All right. Pick up the phone. And, uh, Hadia, what else are you guys going to be dealing with this season? Beyond the NDP race, we're just going to keep doing what we do and looking at politics through a different lens, different stories, different guests, a very different politics show than you'll hear anywhere else. And if anyone hasn't subscribed to it yet, I highly recommend that you do so immediately. Look, the button's there. You're listening right now. Just, you know. Just slide on over to the comments and you're good. 
Okay, but today you guys are helping me out co-hosting Shortcuts, and we are going to be talking about the sudden pressing need to condemn Antifa. We are going to be talking about the Globe and Mail ousting two of its top columnists, and we are going to be talking about what we really mean when we talk about NAFTA. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Roger Lamb, Kirk Shimano, Mark Leger, Stephanie Hobson, Sasha De Silva, Aaron Rosenzweig, Kristen Fardy, and Jeff Hayward. Jeff, why did you decide to be awesome? I support Canada Land because Jesse's not afraid to hold the media to account, even though it makes him kind of a dick. It turns out in this fractured media landscape, Jesse Brown is the dick we need. And this episode is brought to you by Tunnel Bear. Online privacy concerns have been in the news. There has just been like this massive, massive, uh, what do you call it? They pwned millions of people, their emails. Like it's just like, it's here. All of these things you've been afraid of for years. We have real legitimate concerns when it comes to protecting our online privacy and having better data hygiene. And Tunnel Bear is a way that you can browse for free. United States ISPs now have the ability to sell your browsing history to advertisers. Governments are blocking access to social media. We need to protect our privacy. So Tunnel Bear is there to make that easier. It is a beautiful, easy to use app that encrypts everything. It encrypts your connection entirely so that you can't be tracked by anybody. A simple push of a button protects all of your internet traffic and you can browse privately using Tunnel Bear's secure network. And you can you can kind of hit the network from anywhere. You can tunnel your bear so that you're surfing the internet from any country that you wish because you get different stuff on the internet depending on where you are. Find out more about this at tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. Try it for free. You can see how easy it is to surf safely. You don't need a credit card. Just go to tunnelbear.com slash CanadaLand. So, guys, you're going to take these topics one at a time. Ryan, I want to talk to you about this, like, sudden flurry of opinion pieces that are all about how Antifa is just as bad as the other side, how everyone has a, you know, if it's important for Trump to condemn neo-Nazis, then everybody has to stand up and condemn Antifa just so we know where you stand. And it's not just Rex Murphy and Conrad Black. Trevor Noah came out bashing uh, Antifa. I'm not even sure that Antifa exists. I mean, I know that it exists. There is an organization or three called Antifa, but like the idea that everyone at these protests is Antifa, I think is erroneous. And then you got your black block. I, I, I feel like I don't like being told that I have to take us like, of course, those assholes who smashed the camera and uh, a reporter in Quebec, fuck them uh, if that needed to be said. But uh, let's talk specifically about how the Canadian media seems to suddenly feel that this is uh, of the utmost precedence and it's a real threat to everything. Have you been reading these opinion pieces? You know, I, I, I try not to make... Uh, a habit of reading Rex Murphy or uh, someone that's been to jail in Conrad Black. I try to stay away from those opinions. However, just what you said is absolutely true. It it, it seems like these bells are ringing loudly in Canada right now. And I, I actually have a pretty dear friend 
dating back to high school who self-identifies as a member of uh, Antifa. And I talked with him to prepare for this segment. And, you know, I, I wanted to record the conversation. He didn't feel comfortable with that. But let me just say that what he said is that you have to understand that there's actually a lot of diversity in Antifa. So I'm anti-fascist. I, I don't, I'm not down with fascists. Would I call myself Antifa? No, probably not. He does. And he's, he's assured me that there is no large organization or, you know, subreddit of a subreddit of a subreddit place on the internet that, that they, they all come together and decide, you know, what kind of violence they're going to uh, create uh, today. It's a movement of, of young people that um, are aggressive and do take out their, you know, their anger and their aggression to those on the other side of this political conversation. And I think the political conversation is so fiery because on the alt-right, what, what is being talked about and stood up for is so dangerous. And uh, absolutely, um, don't smash cars and sh- set shit on fire. I think peaceful protest is way more beneficial uh, to a movement that is trying to uh, change the reality in communities. So I don't understand why the Canadian media has felt the need to call Antifa out uh, so broadly and so generally Uh, in this moment. I've not uh, witnessed any Antifa action on any of the protests that I've attended over the last few months. I think that, you know, the the way that this has kind of built is that we had Trump talking about how both sides, you know, moral relativism, like there are bad guys on both sides. And then we had the, um, after Charlottesville, there's a number of of actions where people uh, have it seems to have mobilized anti-fascists of, of every stripe, whether they're in Antifa or not. And we've had uh, any time anyone like Lemute, these uh, far-right anti-immigrant group uh, in Quebec, they were sort of like stuck in the parking garage as people on the other side basically just overtook the streets. And, and you know, I like that as a response to Charlottesville, that that just as a, as a show of numbers, like, okay – the white nationalists want to march. Well, there's thousands more of us. We're going to march in a counter protest. We get into these like things where I think when you're talking about Quebec, you've got black bloc people. You do have like, there's sort of like whatever anarchist element. There's people who are just anti-capitalist. It goes back to, you know, there's people in the G20. Then there's agitators sent in by the authorities to give them a a bad name. And the vast majority of people who are just there to, to put their body out there and say, I won't stand by while racists and xenophobes take to the streets of my city. And I have no intention of hurting anybody. They get, defined by this by this this few and and unfortunately there you know there was violence in Quebec and I, I have to stand in solidarity with reporters who are there to just tell the story but to this question why now is this suddenly becoming the defining thing Antifa is what we talk about I I, I think that there is like a, a level of complicity where it, like a lot of people are jumping on that bandwagon of uh this is how you balance the scales and deal with the fact that the public is really revolted by the Nazis and racists that we saw in Charlottesville is, is, you know, you create this, this idea that like, well, there's nuts on both sides and they deserve each other. And this isn't what normal people have to worry about. Yeah. And I think the rise of the right in Canada, which of course, Canada land has done a lot of reporting on over the last year and a little bit. I think the rise of the right in Canada, the fact that the the right is more visible and, and is sort of antagonizing communities in a way that we haven't really seen in this country in, in, in quite a while, or, or maybe perhaps ever, that the, this idea that uh, those with European ancestry are, are threatened 
in a country like Canada or the United States. I think that's obviously why we're seeing the response by Antifa. And, and if, if it is not okay to punch a Nazi in the face, if, if that's how we're going to, if that's the premise we're going to operate under today, it's okay. It's not okay also to be a Nazi. So I really find the reporting interesting too. Like we, we, we are very hesitant to call these people on the right Nazis or Nazi sympathizers or uh, identify them as members of the KKK, but we are so quick to try to squash the efforts of the left or what we would identify as the left if a Nazi gets punched in the face. Like that erases Nazism. Like that erases what these people stand for if one of them gets punched in the head. And look, frankly, I don't know. I can't promise you that I won't punch someone in the face if if i'm antagonized i can't i don't know because yeah. i'm angry and i, I i'm i'm not I, i'm not okay with those people well if you you're know, angry then you know yeah well no i'm just not i'm not okay with them being in my community so if i feel threatened i don't know i don't know what i would do where i would stop short is you know setting private property on fires, you know, <laughs> smashing windows. Um, uh, yeah, everyone's got to have a line. There is a complicated debate that's going on now about when it is when it is necessary to use force in some form or another. And I'm, actually, people should listen to the next Canada Land because to this whole thing of like, well, they're breaking the law. We should fight Nazism within the law. I'm speaking to a guy who's been punching Nazis with the law for like over a decade. And his name is Richard Warman. And the National Post hated his guts when he was doing that. And they thought he was just the most deplorable villain for using the law to come after hate speech and, and to come after Nazis. And I have a fascinating conversation with him coming up on Monday. The one thing I want to drill down on with you, Ryan, is, is this uh, Conrad Black. And Conrad Black has been writing some just disgusting stuff that the Post should be ashamed for publishing. I'm sorry, Ashley. Uh, but you should be. Not no you, offense. but the Post. You're, you're a person, not an organization. But you should feel bad. That's all I I'm do. saying. I feel bad all the time for things Conrad Black writes. Um, so what he has written here is there's, there's like a bunch of awful things, but then ultimately I agree with him. So here's here's how it goes. The incessant agitation by the Canadian native community now focused on in Stalinist terms, the repression of John A. Macdonald. Okay, first of all, false. Not many indigenous people are into John A. Macdonald, but it's actually the fucking teachers union that has uh, somehow hijacked the conversation with that. And Stalinist. Okay, whatever. Uh, back to Conrad, is essentially an attempt to delegitimize the entire settlement and political organization of this country by those who arrived here starting in the 16th century. Ding, ding, ding. I think he's right there. But let's continue a little bit. We'll come back to that. As I have written many times before, the natives arrived here approximately 20,000 or more years before the Europeans did, but their civilization in 16th century was at least 5,000 years behind that of Europe by any reasonable measure of the maturity of a culture or economy of a society. And the natives were not sufficiently numerous or attached to durable pieces of residence to be said to occupy the territory of what is now Canada. So that's gross. There's a few ideas there that are gross. The idea that you can objectively state that one civilization is more advanced. Of course, you're just asserting your spectrum of what's advanced and what isn't. And the fact that, that Europeans had land claims as a mark of how advanced you are, well, you could very easily make an argument to the contrary, uh, especially with environmental devastation and whatnot. But then to take that even further and say that as a reward for being advanced, the inference is like you have the right to just take this because they, they didn't claim it. So anyhow, the whole thing is just like the the worst regurgitation and vomiting up of, of the, the worst ideas of modernity uh, asserted as fact. But the part, Ryan... I, I'm sorry. The part that is right 
is where he says that it's an attempt to delegitimize the entire settlement and political organization of this country. Yes. Yes. Is that so wrong? Uh, no, I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, I think a lot of indigenous scholars, politicians, community leaders actually do feel that Canada is an illegitimate state because it's never made good on the treaties. Before the ink was dry on the numbered treaties, uh, they created the Indian Act and <laughs> residential schools. It's like the deal we had wasn't made in good faith to begin with. And Conrad Black, I mean, he gets paid to write the same boring world history essay to center Europeans' uh, immigration to this place that we now call Canada every other week. And is there not an editor that just goes, hey, man, you wrote this last time. Hey, hey, Conrad, this is what you said last time. Are we going to honestly pay him every time? every column to just write the same shit. If, if we had a National Post editor here, somebody who actually would know whether or not anyone actually has the authority to edit Conrad, then that person should speak up now. Or forever hold their peace. Or forever hold their peace. You know, but, but no, Ryan, there is insight and wisdom in this Conrad Black. What are, you, what are you talking about? This is a wonderful column. He's hit on it. It is an attempt to delegitimize. And, and this is where reasonable people differ. Conrad Black thinks that the end result of delegitimizing Canada would be that like that that Conrad Black is put on a boat back to Cross Harbor. I think he wants to go back to England though. Didn't he give up his citizenship to become a lord? Will, will they have him now? I don't know. I, I think I think he feels like what this means is the savages will push the colonizers into the ocean. And in fact, like there there is I think a much more reasonable tack that, you know, yes, let's question the foundations of this country so that maybe we can arrive at a more equitable country. Like maybe we don't have to double or triple or quadruple down on some of the original sins of this country. It doesn't mean that we're going to be murdered in our sleep or thrown into the ocean. The legitimacy is suspect. No. And this just sounds like uh, a bitter former millionaire <laughs> being fearful that somehow the Mississaugas of the new credit are going to show up on the bridal path and be like, <laughs> you know, Conrad, you have 48 hours. We're just going to camp out here on the front lawn or, or <laughs> hit the pool and stay in the guest house uh, until you leave. Like, and I, and I want to be clear, like, and people, anyone that's heard my comedy or followed my work in any way, I have this conversation about like, Look, we don't know what the next 150 years means, and perhaps it does mean that people need, need to give up some privilege and some power in order for indigenous communities to really achieve, you know, what we frame as liberation in, in our own homelands. That will mean Conrad Black and his friends may have to give up power, but... To be honest, this is a this is a project that is going to take decades. And the truth of the matter is some people just have to die and some of their ideas are going to go away. And you know what? There are new ideas. There are new political conversations happening in this country all the time. And unfortunately, it is ideas like Conrad Black that continue to perpetuate in papers like The Post or in rebel media or, or other places where these tired, old, sad tropes just keep being regurgitated. And we are so far past this conversation that Conrad Black is trying to have in this country that it really shows just how out of touch he really is. Yeah, I don't think he's going to come around. I think, uh, you know, though... You know what? I here's 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 a TV show idea, CBC or whoever else. Put me in the same room with him, and I just want to have a real conversation with them. Like I want to look into these people's eyes and really get a sense of what they actually know. 
right? I just I just feel like we're in dangerous territory here. And, and just for clarity's sake, I think we are saying that the CBC should put you in a room with Conrad Black where you will get angry and punch him to death. Just to be clear, no. that is... No. You can right? tie my, no, you can tie my arms behind my back. All there'll right. Be, there'll be no punches thrown. I don't want people to be confused. You're going to punch a Conrad Black to death. Okay. And in anticipation for humorless trolls, Ryan McMahon is not actually going to punch Lord Black in the face until he dies. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Now is the time on our program... Following the threats of death. Uh, well, you know what? Why don't we all just take a breath and talk about Casper mattresses? And you know what? Casper is a sleep brand. I don't even call it Casper mattresses because they have sheets and pillows now too. And I, I'm going to try one of these pillows. If, and and I'll, I'll say this. This is my personal endorsement part today. If, if they won't send me one for free, I'm going to pay for one. I sleep on a Casper mattress every night. It's the best mattress I've ever had. It is really a lot more affordable than any mattress of its class, and it's uh, especially affordable for listeners of this podcast, as you will find out in a moment. If you think that I may be exaggerating the virtues of this mattress, you can test it for free. You can have it shipped to your home, try it for a hundred nights, and if you don't like it, they will take it back and refund you everything. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. There are over 20,000 reviews of Casper online and has 4.8 out of 5 stars. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Try it for 100 nights risk-free in your home. Designed, developed, and assembled in the United States of America, my friends. And if you've seen Casper ads around Canada saying you get 50 bucks off, well, then you're not listening to Canada Land. Because for listeners of this podcast, you get $65 Canadian. That's the best discount you'll find anywhere. 65 bucks Canadian off 
of a Casper mattress when you visit casper.com slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, duly noted. Ryan, what have you? I would like to duly note that one of the largest indigenous news websites on the internet, it's possibly the largest indigenous news websites on the internet has folded as of this week, Indian Country Today, which has gone through many different incarnations, served as a newspaper, as a magazine, as an online digital publication, uh, has ceased operations as of September 4th, citing that they are going on an operational hiatus to explore a new business model. And I want to bring this up for a few reasons. I think that uh, this is a, a tremendous loss for many emerging freelance indigenous writers across North America. Uh, it's a tremendous loss for those young writers that uh, got caught up writing BuzzFeed-type listicles for Indian Country uh, today, but also a tremendous loss for all of the Pocahontas princesses that are part of a part of a part Cherokee that loved reading their uh, Dreamcatcher-inspired horoscopes on the website as well. <laughs> There was a mix of real journalism and just completely ridiculous new agey hokey shit on the website. And I wish them well. Many friends of mine have written for them and uh, I hope they find a model that uh, works for them and uh, we'll see what happens. What am I going to do without my dream catcher horoscope? Somebody will come. That is a huge uh, market opportunity. No, look, listen, like we've seen like between what you're doing with, with Indian and Cowboy, what Media Indigenous is doing, what Kukukwis is doing, like there, there, there are a, a lot of exciting new projects. And the cycle of, of entrepreneurship and innovation in media is always like following a, a flurry of like, ooh, exciting. There is a future. You know, entrepreneurship is such not everybody makes it. And then people draw these large conclusions. Well, I guess nobody's going to make it. And then it becomes this death watch period. Yeah. You never know. You never know why a business goes under and there is an attrition rate in this process of, of reforming the media. So uh, good on them for for giving it a really serious try and, and best of luck to everybody who's who's still in it. And some, some of some of y'all are thriving. Well, and I, I just want to tip the hat to you, my boss here at Canada Land to say uh, it's proof positive that when, when you find a model that works and when you have a community that trusts you, uh, it's really important to acknowledge those people that are leading in that way. So I just wanted to bring that up to not ask for a raise or anything like that, but just to congratulate you and the team on another season and uh, finding a model that works for you. Thank you. It, it, it's it's just because people support it. That's it. And I think that on that note, people should really actually be looking at Indian and Cowboy Ryan. I know you don't want to pr like pump your own thing here, but I think you're doing amazing work. And for all the people who love to like lament on their Facebook pages or perform on Twitter that they're so sad about the lack of Indigenous voices in Canada, like do something about it and support something great like Indian and Cowboy. Do it now. Thanks. Duly noted. Hadia, what do you have for us? I think the Canadian government or some senators are tweeting that we should take in some of the dreamers that Donald Trump wants to oust from his country, um, saying that they meet um, a lot of our immigration criteria, something interesting to think about. The dreamers, of course, being the kids who came to America 
under 16, brought in by their parents, never knew a country other than America. Obama had a two-year kind of stay that gave them some sort of legal status, awaiting a path to legal status. And Trump just took that away for anyone who hasn't been following that one. So you're suggesting, or rather you're bringing up, you're duly noting the fact, you're just noting the fact that some senators are saying that we could take them in. What a fuck you to Trump that would be. (laughs) If Trudeau wanted to show some stones and actually put some political capital where his whole we welcome you tweets are... That would be a pretty bold way to do it. Yeah. We do have a lot of people waiting in, you know, tents and immigration camps around Canada currently, though. So it might be kind of an F you to those people for those people to skip the line. But Right. But uh, so tricky political situation to navigate would get some brownie points definitely on some ends, but lose yeah, some on others. Yeah, we also get some people who like, I mean, all of this stuff like, oh, we got these stadiums full of refugees and oh, you know, that would be... Ultimately, I think that most economic assessments of how it works out for us in the long run are like, this is just actually like we benefit. Yeah. So we could probably handle it. And that would be, uh, and wow, during the NAFTA negotiations, that would just add a little extra fuck <laughs> you to be. things, wouldn't it? Duly noted. Ashley? Um, okay. So my duly noted is about the Duchess of Cambridge or the former Kate Middleton being pregnant with her third child. Congratulations, whatever. But there's this weird policy in the United Kingdom that came into effect in the spring uh-huh. where they have cut off government benefits to people after their second child if you're on the lower end of the income spectrum. And I just find this really curious given that the monarchy is supported by taxpayers' dollars. So I really want to know if Prince William and Kate are going to be you know, dip it into their private funds to cover the cost for this third child? Or if, you know, this is a bit of a double standard going on right now? Well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) That went in three different unexpected directions. Duly noted. Duly noted. Hadia, what I want to speak about with you is the sudden and impolite departure. Well, the departure wasn't impolite, but the ousting of Tabitha Saudi and Leah McLaren uh, from the Globe and Mail with a form letter as an employment lawyer, I have many thoughts. A form that. letter? You know what and the thing- just as a human being, I have many thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I won't feign surprise. They always seem to choose the most dickish way to do this. I mean, these are both columnists who've been there for, I think, over a decade each, uh, Tabitha Saudi and Liam McLaren. And David Walmsley sends them this very, like, Borg-like, we have conducted research, your services are no longer needed. Yeah. We're reducing our freelance footprint, he said. And it made it seem like the, the, this sort of um, inhumane and, and impersonal thing like this. W- w- don't take it personally. We're sending this to everybody. We've only been able to find two instances where this was, it was like you, you could take the time to send both Leah and Tabitha an email. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody else got this thing. Well, not even an email. I mean, if someone's been writing a column for you for 17 <laughs> years, maybe we could go to just have a meeting with them. Maybe, maybe have a coffee. Maybe have a coffee and, and, maybe pick and up talk the phone, to them. Yeah, phone call. Because it feels like being dumped by... Your partner mm-hmm. over text, which is a pretty crappy way to get dumped. Maybe it's some kind of cruel to be kind thing. Like I'll I'll I'll, I'll wear the black hat and be the 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 evil boss. The so I don't know. I, or it's probably just some HR thing, right? I mean, these are seasoned writers. You're probably still going to want an A piece from them in the future. Maybe you don't want them on a regular basis. But burning the bridge seems a little bit odd. Yeah, and then also basically giving them a big incentive to. Uh, you know, well, I won't say how or who, but we broke the story and we had that email and yeah. uh, and also Leah's very acidic response to David Walmsley. Yeah. But leaving aside the 
very poor manners and bad form of the editor-in-chief of the Globe Mail. I don't mean to sound smug, but he certainly acted like a dick. Jesse's words. What? What? Uh, <laughs> Always Jesse's what, words. Is that the wrong word? I understand. You are a freelancer in Canada. It must you, be you, nice. You can't go around calling the editor-in-chief of, no, probably of Globe not Mail if... a dick, but I can do that because it's not happening there anyhow. Um, anyhow, the Globe and Mail... What are they doing, do you think? I have thoughts. I'm curious what you think, because both Tabitha Southey and Leigh McLaren were very popular, very popular columnists whose stuff was read widely and discussed widely. I don't really understand. I mean, when I looked at the form letter and Lauren McKeon read, uh, wrote a column about this in The Walrus recently, their gaps seem to be women, <laughs> And people of color. So it seems strange that, you know, in the letter they talk about, you know, we've looked at our profile or kind of looked at what we are delivering and thinking that axing women was the way to go um, and keeping on a bunch of middle-aged white dudes and uh, yeah, 20. In my imperfect way, I reported uh, some time ago on the departure of a number of women from the Globe and Mail and uh, whatever flaws that reporting had, it resulted in supposed reforms of the Globe where they were going to address gender problems and try to retain their female talent. And now we see this. I am going to take a pro-Globe and – I'm not going to take a pro-Globe and Mail. I'm, I'm going to basically explain what, why I think what they did made sense to them. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm all ears. I'd okay. like to hear more. It would be great if they were not this bastion of like upper Canada elitism of white Canadian, if they had more voices, diversity, they don't. They, and that is, you can't reverse that overnight. That is the, the chickens are, like it would be very difficult to suddenly brand themselves. Uh, even when they, like, they have Denise Balkas and she's wonderful and she's like, she could, they could be positioning her as some sort of like female, Paul Krugman-y, Tom Friedman-y, not those people, but some, you know, like she's yeah. so smart and analytic and she can, she can write about anything and they haven't invested in her as a personality. Like a central I, focal yeah. person. They, if they haven't done it yet, even when they have somebody on staff, that's not the direction they're going in. So you're like, why are they, why are they making it even worse for themselves in terms of representation? It's because that's not the game that they're trying to play. Money? Money? No. The, aren't, are they not expensive? Like they're probably two of the longer standing columnists. They're not expensive compared to staffers. They're not like okay. from what Margarita is making, they're not expensive. It's hard to get rid of Margaret um, She's on staff. I'll put it this way, and this is harsh. I think that the way that they, I mean, we, we also reported that they're going down to two sections during the week. Mm-hmm. They got rid of their East Coast paper. There may be other things happening. The consolidations and then the rebranding of the Globe may be such that even if, even if they could get great, engaging literary columnists for free, funny personalities, interesting people who say witty things, they might not print it. What they're trying to do, as I read it, their business plan going forward is subscription-based, their competition is basically the New York Times. Right. And they can't fight for the New York Times when it comes to like great essays and great columns. Right. Because Times has that on lock. So they're going to fight. The Times is not reporting Canadian news stories and Canadian investigations with the depth that the Globe is capable of. Right. And the Globe is doing really well. Stephen Chase's stuff on Saudi Arabia, arms dealing, you know, you know, do little with Unfounded. Like they're yeah. going to double down, triple down on deep, deep stuff investigation scoops and politics, politics. And they're going to try to say this is what's unique about us and it's worth subscribing to. Right. And they're they're doubling down with that over $100,000 a year, mostly Toronto, like rich rich white Canadians. Right. That's their business uh, okay. from now on, which is unfortunate. I think that they basically sacrifice a claim to be any kind of a representative. I mean, they're not Canada's national newspaper. You can't get them in large parts of Canada. Right. And they're also not going to try to reflect 
all the different types of Canadians that are out there. They're just going to try to run a little business for rich people. Wait, are you saying only rich people like to read investigations? I'm saying it that... It depends what they investigate. Yes. And I think that, you know, they, they have shown, you know, the stuff that they're investigating. I mean, I'd say unfounded. Yeah, unfounded. That's it, not it, something, something that's just that, for rich people. No, that's true. I guess the question is, uh, I can tell you that, like, if you were to have a look at their actual marketing materials in their business plan, it would be, for lots of reasons, we're looking for... They said it before, Phil Crowley said, we're looking for people who make six figures. And that had more to do with the, the advertising, which is less of a priority right now. But I, I don't think they know how to reach the rest of Canada. They, they haven't been very good at it. And I don't think that they're going to try to get good at it now. I do subscribe to both the New York Times and the Globe. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say Unfounded was one of the big reasons why I did join up for a subscription because I really yeah. enjoyed that piece. And I mean, I have a background in sexual assault research, so it was clearly important, but I wanted to support more work like that. Yeah, well, you use an interesting word. I mean, I enjoy the hell out of Tabitha Saudi. Like, I, I, it's a pure pleasure reading her. What I think their research indicates, and you know, like it's not dissimilar from stuff we know, people don't subscribe based on, oh, I really like this columnist. They subscribe based on, it's not that they necessarily enjoy Unfounded, Robin Little's massive multi-year uh, investigation into how the cops are just throwing away many viable cases of sexual assault and calling them unfounded. We recognize that that's important and that Google Mail is like one of the only places that can do that and will do that. And so it feels good to support them and we want them to keep doing that. So I, I don't think it's the dumbest business model that, that, that you know, that's going to be a part of it. Good business reporting is going to be a, a part of it. They're, they're going to try to present value in ways that connect with like, I will pay. And, they, and it's not cheap. Like what's, what's the globe cost now? I don't remember. I just have one of those online, you know. Yeah, I, it's I, like I, 27 bucks a month, I think. We subscribe for... I feel like I got some sort of deal. Okay. So go go out and check it out, like five weeks for whatever, and then... In a world... Like, I get a lot of enjoyment from the shows that I enjoy on Netflix, you know, and I pay, you know... But I mean, I think like it's a bucks, missed right? opportunity to... You might get pull people in with a t- sort of like unfounded work, but then you can also sort of push the envelope on some other issues with columnists like Saudi. I think that you, look, there's a separate subscription-based business model where you assemble really important and wonderful writers and voices. And you have like, look, what you're getting for your subscription includes this, there's going to be features on the weekend by these people. Yeah. It's going to be great. Like your New Yorker. Like your New Yorker. Like some some people would argue some stuff in the Times. But you have to spend years uh, working on that and, and, and building trust with those writers and developing them. And the Globe has, has just starved that. So um, they're, they're cutting off that limb. And it's sad because they have a history of being like the writerly literary newspaper paper of Canada. I think that they're abandoning that perch as well. Relatedly, do you think that the federal government has more of an onus or should have more of an onus to support big media that can reach sort of across, you know, beyond the CBC or well, should my... we have a fully national newspaper and who should it be? Are you trolling me? You don't really <laughs> listen to this show, do you? Um... <laughs> what do you think, Jesse? Yeah, no, I, 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 in theory, feel like, hey, why not support the arts and letters? You know, it's such a small thing for us to do as taxpayers compared to the other stuff where the money just disappears. And yep. in practice, I think it's basically ruined uh, the cultural sectors in Canada and made us non-competitive and really hurt the product more than anything. But that's something that is well beyond <laughs> beyond the. <laughs> I just want to yank your chain a little. Thank it's you for kind of so. fun. <laughs> The first round of talks began today on one of President Trump's top priorities, renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement. As a candidate, Trump was pretty clear about NAFTA. I'm going to renegotiate NAFTA, one of the worst trade deals ever signed in the history of our country, perhaps 
the worst ever signed in the history, frankly, of the world. On Sunday, days before the three countries were scheduled to hold a second round of negotiations on rewriting the 23-year-old agreement, U.S. President Donald Trump renewed his threat to scrap NAFTA and ripped on trading partners Canada and Mexico in a tweet early. Christian Freeland addressing the chaotic political backdrop to this week's NAFTA talks. Donald Trump promising to bring back middle-class American jobs and prosperity in part by fixing NAFTA. Ashley, I feel like when I read a about NAFTA negotiations, mm-hmm. I am reading about something that like has the lowest level of transparency to the press that just it's behind closed doors that what you read is it comes to you through a source with with uh, special uh, we the Globe and Mail has obtained a schedule of the do- uh, you know and, 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 <laughs> a schedule ooh, ooh. and and a source familiar with the negotiation says that this and I, I feel like there is no way for me to understand what is happening and 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 as a certainty whoever is leaking information is doing so with an agenda of that course. is completely unclear to me and i feel like it's 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 simply an impossibility for me to actually be informed about this so i think there's a couple things going on there first off i think negotiations necessarily do have to have a closed door aspect to them i think people need to be able to get in a room and talk things out for real without cameras and do the horse trading. Like that is how deals are made. That is how the sausage is made. But where I think the failure here is actually in the coverage and trying to make this real. All of the news stories are so filled with drug. And I'm someone who has covered government. I'm someone who can like understand what these weird terms mean. But the way these articles are written is really not for a mass audience. And I think that's the bigger problem. I don't think people have done a good job of explaining what the, except for those articles that are like, what do the NAFTA talks mean for you? Where they consciously make that effort. Where they do an explainer and like, here's what we're after. Yeah, and then they go to the lowest common denominator. But there has to be a better middle ground where the coverage is both clear and, you know, concise and makes it transparent for the average Canadian what these things mean for you. And I think that's been a big failure in a lot of the coverage. But there's this other aspect where something like the the, the reason why this information is coming out is not so that I, as a member of the public, read it and get angry or put pressure on that there's some other purpose at work here. I'm sp- like, so, th- so Adrian Moore was reporting for the Globe and Mail and, and, you know, we were talking, like, I'm always just like talking to people who know a lot more than I do to try to get a little bit of an edge on what the hell I'm reading. And our producers here have been talking to people like uh, this trade lawyer who pointed out this Adrian Morrow piece where he writes, one group of negotiators spent all day Sunday working on the labor file according to a schedule of the talks obtained by the Globe and Mail. One source familiar with the discussion said Canada wants the United States to pass a federal law stopping state governments from enacting right-to-work legislation. Good luck with that. The source said the United States has not agreed to such a request. Like, what What are you talking... Like, like so Canada's going to impose our will on America's division of powers? Hmm. Right. That so works that's obviously, really well. Well, it, it brings up so many questions. Like, obviously, we are not going to have a say yeah. on union busting in the states. Or but- that'd be like the states coming in and saying, you know what, you guys, let's change your liquor sales rules. Get yeah. rid of the LCBO because it's a monopoly that we don't like for our producers that favors Ontario producers. And then that's the federal government telling the provinces what to do. But that's one level of reading between the lines of this. Like, you know, good luck. That sounds like a fool's errand. But then there's this other level of like, well, why is this getting leaked? And we can only take the wildest guess. It makes the Trudeau government look good. That's why it's getting leaked. It's like it makes them seem like they're standing up to the big bad Americans who don't respect labor. 
I think so much of the framing of these negotiations and what we're getting in the dribs and drabs is a very smart and effective communication strategy from our our prime minister's office that is giving us a sense that they are standing up for the core values of Canada and the brand of their government, you know, gender equity, the environment, uh, pushing on labor rights, but in a way that is so coded and with plausible deniability that it doesn't actually affect the work getting right. done at the table. So this is the Occam's razor of this, basically, is that we're going to get trounced in these negotiations and maybe we should get trounced, that supply management is going to fall down now. That's going to be a demand. Yay. And maybe that's a good thing and maybe Trump's actually right about this, but they can't just look like they're uh, lying down completely. So they're going to make a bunch of like kind of, uh, oh, we're going to balance this by getting a bunch of concessions for the states. So we're going to, you know, fill the press. Like, I don't like the aspect of this, which I suspect is what's going on, is that is that the Globe and Mail and the rest of the press is getting led by the nose through these leaks from the Trudeau administration. I would administration. give some of the reporters a bit more credit than that. Like, well, Adrian Moore is a great though? reporter. I worked with him for a long time at Queen's Park. He's not someone to get led by the nose. What what, the, what this lawyer we were talking to, what he told us is that, is that uh, I, I don't know, Adrian Moore, I'm not going to make any specific criticisms about him, but what he said was, if you actually do know what's going on here, this is where we're seeing the lack of deep institutional knowledge from beat reporters, where, you know, if you had somebody who was just only on this for years and years and years. But we haven't needed to be, right? Like NAFTA sort of just been running in the background until Trump became president. I, I guess And so. everyone was expecting Hillary Clinton to win. So what would, you know what I mean? Like, and I think there is institutional knowledge there. There are reporters in the Ottawa Press Gallery who remember the essentially the free trade election with Mulroney, who remember the NAFTA talks in the early 90s. Like There is that institutional knowledge there. And I think it does come out in some of the the better analytical pieces about this. But I just think it's so dry that it's hard to get people to pay attention to that. But the thing I would really like to talk a little bit about is that we're not doing a good job of explaining how a reformed NAFTA, if we even get there, because personally, I suspect nothing's going to come of these talks and NAFTA is going to stay the way it is because Trump's too, um, has too much else going on. But the there are actual things in here that could be really good for consumers. The end of supply management could be great for consumers. You can still have the standards that we have now for our milk that you can't have hormone milk on our shelves, but it could end up being cheaper. And for low income people, that's an option they can have. If you want your farm fresh organic milk from down the street, you can still do that. And you know what? Supply management would be great for those farm fresh organic farmers who can't currently afford to buy into the quota. So let's get rid of supply management. Silicon Valley really wants us to open up our telecoms. Yay competition. Who's sick of having the highest cell phone bills in the world? Because I know I am. And guess who are the big companies behind trying to stop the government from doing that for us? It'd be great for consumers. It'd be bad for some of the biggest companies in this country. The tech companies also want Canada to loosen its restrictions on content. What would that mean? That would mean Hulu. That would mean HBO Go. That would mean uh, none of this crap where we have like Canadian Netflix that has like a fraction of what American Netflix has on it because of all these rights that have been built into deals. Now, of course, that would probably have to be phased in over time because of contracts that have previously been signed. But to open it up and make it easier for us to have more content streaming platforms. Yay. These are these things that like they don't want you to know and they'd be good for consumers. So like tell your MPs that you want Hulu in Canada. Ashley, you know, much much like Antifa, you are this is a direct threat to Canadian sovereignty, what you were proposing right now and i stand like i i stand with show me i pour out a little liquor for for my dad show me <laughs> i i have a i have a solution you can use tunnel bear and you could use tu- you could use tunnel bear to get to get hulu no we're, we're, we're past the mineral spot we're good we're good ryan there's there's they're a sponsor <laughs> tunnel bear you don't have to change nafta you can just use just tunnel use bear, bear. Su- there, 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 go to tunnel slash canada slash, that's a, that, 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 that's on yeah, the house yes <laughs> That's on the house for you, Tunnel Bear. That is your Canada Land shortcuts. My God. 
Hadia, Ashley, Ryan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to work, guys. Uh, everyone, you can email me. I read what you send me, and I respond when I can. And I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Quickly, guys, where can people find you? Ashley. I'm Ashley Chinati at Ashley Chinati. That's Chinati with a C-S-A-N-A-D-Y. Ryan. I'm at RM Comedy on Twitter. Adia. You can find me on Twitter at D Rodrique. That is D E E R O D E R I Q U E. Rhymes with Mystique. Commons comes back on Tuesday. Once again, subscribe to that show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We are doing a live show. Sunday, October 15th, here in Toronto as part of the second annual Hot Docs Podcast Festival, best podcast festival in the whole damn world. I will be talking with Daniel Dale, who covered Rob Ford and now is covering Trump. Every single lie, he he counts them all. You can get tickets for this. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. I've wanted to talk to Daniel Dale for a long time. HotDocs.ca slash podcast festival. Syndication of Canada Land is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.